All right, this week on the Drag Zine Podcast, got Jamie Miller on the show, Tuner to the Stars. What's going on, Jamie? How you doing? Oh, you know, just uh, waiting for the weather apocalypse of the week here in Ohio. Um, it's gone from three feet of snow to now ice to maybe frogs. So, you know, it's just it's whatever. Just nothing oh, yeah. in the Midwest. Yeah, we're dealing that with upstate here, you know. And, uh, man, we've been dealing with a bunch of snow for the last couple of weeks and snow blowing through it. And had we got about, I would say we have about two feet of snow on the ground right now, so. Oh, yeah. I see all the weather coming out to, like, Tulsa area and everything like that. They're dealing with it. Yeah, you know, I, f- I feel bad for a lot of those people. But at the same time, when you're from a region that's used to it, you're just like, oh, well, that's not that bad for us. But for you, it's right. the apocalypse. All right. Yep. But at the same time, we're also getting ready to uh, to gear up for another season of racing and the annual pilgrimage to a South Georgia, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, be leaving out here uh, Monday morning to go over there and get everybody ready so we'll start testing on tuesday we're trying to work out some some scheduling to get tested beforehand but you know it's it's uh you know everybody wants to be ready for this race so guys putting combinations together last minute and uh so we'll start we'll start messing with everybody's car on tuesday literally buttoning it up at the track and then test 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 there you go yep it's always the way yeah yeah that's it's funny like when i was down at the uh at bradington there's a lot of people that got there you know practically the week before and started testing literally up until the race and that's how you shake these any race car out really yeah and i think you know Brainton, man it was craziness i know you know penny and i kind of got home and went over and there was so many cars and it's like one of those deals where you know guys show up and it's like okay you have a car kind of like you think you're gonna be working on three or four cars and then last minute hey i want to come to this hey i want to come this everybody's got you know they've been uh you know, bottled up and want to get out and get out racing for the first race of the year. So it was, uh, yeah, it was craziness, but we had, you know, good showings with all our customers. It was a, it was a good weekend. It was nice to be back at the track. So I'm looking forward to, to Ducks race. You know, I want to know this for myself. How did you become a professional tuner? Like what, what's your life story? How did you, you know, it's not something a, a high school guidance counselor has on, you know, <laughs> the aptitude test where it's like professional race car tuner. You go, that's me. How, how did you end up here, man? So it's a, it's a pretty interesting story. Like, uh, you know, so I had a chassis shop. I used to build cars. I started out actually working for a real small shop, did circle track cars and learned all the fabrication, um, started a little shop of my own, um, you know, building, you know, roll cages, doing some drag stuff, obviously nothing like on this scale. And I ended up getting hooked up with uh, Dennis from DMC racing He was looking for uh, a guy to come out and do some work with him. Him and I kind of worked together on some projects and that turned into meeting a guy by the name of Jason Enos. Jason Enos at the time had a outlaw 10, five car that was built by vanishing point. He purchased a pro line combination, 670, you know, their whole package deal. And we outfitted the car at DMC with this, with this package. So Jason needed somebody to go racing with him. I had a little bit of experience working with my buddy, Ray Johnson, who raced an outlaw 10, five car um, local at like Cecil County and stuff like that. I had done some small tire, 10 and a half inch tire stuff. So I had a little bit of experience, not much, you know, I could work my way through a laptop a little bit. I felt like I had a halfway decent uh, idea on how to make the cars work, you know? So anyways, fast forward, I start to get the opportunity to work with Steve Petty. Um, on Enos's car. So this was at the time that uh, Petty and Lynch were running their Outlaw 10.5 car, you know, and very competitive, obviously winning a lot of races those guys did and, and basically, you know, 
the, the cream of the crop there. So what Petty would do is he'd come out testing with us and we'd work together. And it was the exact same combination that they had in Lynch's car, you know, in Petty and Lynch's car. So we would, we would just, Enos was big on going testing. We would try stuff. I would call Petty either. He would be out with us. I would give him the data of what we, what we learned. And then when we would race, you know, against Petty and Lynch and stuff, I would, I would tune the car, you know, so it was based off of the stuff that I learned with Steve and things like that. So we did this for about a year and, and fast forward and, and Petty was like, man, you know, we're really looking for somebody at ProLine to come on board. I need help. There's just, we don't have anybody that, you know, I can't keep up with all the customer base. And, you know, I was like, man, I, can I really, can I really make a living tuning race cars, you know? And so it came down to Enos and I had a deal, uh, a two-year deal and it was coming to the end of that. And Petty called me up one day and he's like, Hey man, I need you to, I need you to go tune a car. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. You know? And he's like, I need you to go to Bahrain. I'm like, Bahrain. He's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I, I, you know, I don't even know. I don't, first of all, I don't know where Bahrain is, you know, know, and, uh, and, and I, listen, this is, I've never been, I've never traveled anywhere by myself. I've never, I've never gone out of the country. Right. So he's like, I'm like, look, this is an opportunity. I, I, you know, I I don't want to tell this guy no. So I'm like, look, can I, can I think about it? He goes, yeah, I can give you 24 hours. I'm like, man, I got 24 hours to come up with. Am I going to jump on a plane? Anyways, I come home. I talk to my wife about it. You know, we, we go over and I'm like, she's like, look, the way worst case is for a week. You don't like it. But she's like, I don't think you say no to this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I can either. But anyways, I go to bar, I jump on a plane. I fly halfway across the world. I, all these people know is I'm getting off the airplane with a red hat on and I go and tune these guys car, which was the same combination. And from that day forward, honestly, that's what I've been doing is I've been tuning a race car since then. It was like this crazy crazy scenario that I was thrown in, you know what I mean? And I jumped at it and then I was like, I'm going to give this a shot, you know, and see if I can make it work. And I haven't looked back. It's, it's been a crazy, crazy experience. That's for sure. Yeah. That's wild. Not going to lie. That's like, you know, it's, it's one of those deals. Like when I tell the story and I think about that, I just, in 24 hours notice, I basically made all these arrangements to get on a plane and fly over to Bahrain like and I'm telling you I had never gone anywhere like by myself I I don't like flying right I, to this day I still don't like flying I spend about 150 I, I travel about 150,000 to 180,000 miles a year on an airplane and I, I can't I really don't enjoy it at all but I got on this plane went over didn't know anybody I hadn't even talked to anybody on the phone Eric basically had had you know uh taking care of all the logistics and how it was all going to work and said, you know, somebody will be there at the airport. So I get out in Bahrain and I'm looking around and somebody calls, Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy. And I'm like, yeah, that's gotta be me, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> so I end up with this team. We did really well. We, you know, we won a race that, you know, we had a, we had a good outing. The guys were cool. It was a, it was a wild experience. And, um, and like I said, from that day forward, uh, you know, I, I, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And it's insane too because it's going to Bahrain. It's not going to England where the biggest difference is fish and chips for breakfast and driving on the wrong side of the road. It's a complete like that's culture like shock to the nth degree. Oh I, man, when I went, I've told people this story and and I, I can I a good friend of mine, Tim Davis, who does a lot of racing with me. Um, he's actually come over to Bahrain with me when we when we worked for uh, Econo Racing. And my first experience there, I went over there in 2011 and man, they were having like protests against the King of Bahrain. And there was all this political protest and like, it got crazy. I was in a, I was in a car 
And we were traveling down this little side road and there was military shooting tear gas bombs off at, and that we were driving through and rolling up the windows. And like, I tell people the story and honestly, I think they think I'm full of crap. Right. And well, with the second time we went back to Bahrain, Tim was with me, happened to be the guy that was driving the car. And he's like, Jamie, remember that time we were driving down here and they were shooting no tear back tear gas bombs. I'm like, yeah, see Tim, I wasn't, I wasn't giving you a line of crap. Yeah. It really happened, you know? And it was, it was nuts at that time. And I'll be honest with you. I got back. And I had a really good time there. Leaving was was very stressful because there was this big protest. I didn't know if I was going to get to the airport. There were people in the streets. I mean, it was craziness, right? And I came back and I'm like, I don't think I'd ever go back there. And then, you know, you fast forward to, I think it was 2016 or 17, we started going back and working for Econo Racing. And, you know, the whole the whole atmosphere over there has changed, you know. Uh, and I really, I have some guys over there that I that I uh, consider good friends, you know, and, I, and I, enjoy, I enjoy going over there and racing with those guys. It's been a lot and of fun. They take drag racing pretty seriously oh, over yeah. there. I mean, it's, it, it's funny to watch how it's kind of like, it's growing exponentially right in front of us yeah yeah it is and and you know they the their um the, the facility itself is really nice it's right inside uh the f1 track you know so they have like you don't work outside in the trailer they have all you know shops that you work in and there's there's power outlet there's air compressor i mean it's it's wild how it's set up there and it you know it's like it's completely different i remember walking out there and the first time seeing it and i was just like wow this place is incredible i can't i can't even get over it you know what i mean so and, and you're working with royalty which is another like that's got to be another interesting like facet mind trip yeah kind of deal. It, it is it is definitely uh a lot to get used to. I, I, you know, the, the money and, and, and the, the people over there that just like, you can, you can kind of tell uh, the, the groups that, like you said, that are Royal family that have a lot of money, then there, you know, then there's guys that are just normal working guys. And you can certainly see the difference and and how things are handled and what you're, you know, and, and uh, the people that are, that are coming along with it, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wild deal. I've, I've had a, you know, I've had some cool experiences. I've got to travel a bunch of different places. I get to go to Australia. I've gone to Norway. Um, I've been to Puerto Rico, you know, got, got some, uh, done some traveling to go tune some race cars. It's been pretty cool. So you've literally got to go to every country I would ever like th there's certain countries on my bucket list. I want to go check out their racing scene. Australia is on that list yeah. 100% because there's something you got to like about a country where everything is designed to kill you from the weather to the wildlife. It breeds a different <laughs> yeah. kind of person. Right. Yeah. No, I, th those guys are cool, man. I, I, you know, again, I've got a lot of good friends that I talk to all the time and actually their race season is starting up right now. And so I've been actually on the phone and sending emails like their racing is going to start right when Donald's race starts. Of course, it's always on top. Everything's on top of each other, no matter where halfway across, across the, the world. world, you know what I mean? And it's on top of each other. So we're getting, uh, we're gearing up to get a bunch of cars ready to go uh, for all my guys in Australia right now. So yeah, it, like I really enjoy going over there. I've been, I've had the opportunity. I've probably gone over there five or six times now. Um, you know, other than the flight, the flight is, uh, is a little long, you know, but, uh, other than that, I, I really enjoy it over there. And then, you know, speaking of Puerto Rico, which a lot of people might not understand how drag racing to them is on a different level, because I've been to the world cup a few times, you know, as part of a race team and right. to cover it from the media, Puerto Ricans take drag racing seriously. The ones hey. that are into it. It's, oh yeah, it's crazy. 
And you know what I like? I appreciate how how much they get involved with it from a spectator standpoint. Like they are into it. It's like, you know, where you see people getting all fired up for a basketball game or a baseball game or whatever, a football game. That's how these guys react in in, in drag racing. It's really cool to see. You know what I mean? And uh, I only got to go over. I only been over once. I went to Salinas. Uh, I went with the guys, a place called PMS race cars that actually have been doing a bunch of uh, updates on some cars that have been running lately. Um, and they built a couple of cars for customers and they, they do some really nice work. But anyways, I got, I got the opportunity to go out there and race with those guys. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And, and then when you look at Europe again, it's a, another 180 flip on the kind of cars they build, the combos, the rate, like people around here, it cracks me up when I see people in the United States complaining about how terrible a track is. I'm like, these dudes over in Europe are literally racing on an airport with no prep. Stop yeah. complaining. Like I know um, I haven't been over, but I know Shane T does a bunch of tuning over in England. He said that they're, they have a hard time actually getting able to test because the weather will change you know, yeah. drastically where they're constantly dealing with, with it raining and things like that. And a lot of times they'll go for a full year where they don't where they really don't ever get the opportunity to actually make any good hits in the car. So it's very limited runs that they can make on these cars that they've put a bunch of time and effort into, you know, so like I know uh, there was one guy that, that he was working with um, Red Victor Racing, uh, Andy Frost. He had actually brought his car over to Bahrain to test it because he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't get the the opportunity and the, like you said the, the the track prep wasn't there and and you know he got really good results coming over to Bahrain and doing testing over there when we were all there my I, I I love drag racing globally but I think one of the most obnoxious cars that I love is the all-wheel drive first-gen Camaro that's floating around over in England somewhere I did an article on the dude I forget who owns it but it's like it is literally the most perfect amalgamation of European and American all in one car. So, you know, I, I want to say this is going back to or maybe three years ago. Uh, Eric Diller from Proline called me and he's like, hey, I, I gave these guys from Russia your number. They put a 481X in a, in a GTR. Yes. Yep. And, <laughs> and that thing is wild. I mean, it really is. It's pretty badass. I, I interviewed the guy that built the car. Okay. The shop. I had to talk to him on like WhatsApp or whatever. Right the most Russian experience I've had in a long time. Like yeah. the way he talked, it was yeah. like, you could tell they love horsepower, but I'm like, man, these guys, they don't play around. And like the mindset of that, they looked, he goes, we looked at GTR. We did not like the engine. So we went to put ProLine in it. I'm like, yeah, That's- I couldn't believe it. Yeah. When, when Eric told me they had a 481X and a GTR, I'm like, man, this is pretty badass. I got to see this. Thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's been, it's, it's been cool. Like I said, it's, it's uh, from like, again, going back to it, you know, never, never traveling, leaving the country, you know, and, and getting the experiences I had. It's a, it's a pretty cool deal, you know? And I think something else that's interesting here that might get lost on some people that they made it not know that you had history in building chassis right. to tune at the level that you tune at. How important is it to understand the chassis side of things? So, you know, I think that's one thing that gives me an edge over guys that necessarily don't have that experience. I mean, because look, there's only, we've, we've talked about this. I tell this guys, there's only so much you can fix with a laptop, right? At some point, if it, you're going to either slow the car down, if you don't know the changes to make to the chassis, to have it make, have more grip, have more bite, get it down the racetrack. And so that stuff for me where, look, maybe I don't have as much experience on the laptop as made some other guys. 
I make up for it where I feel like, okay, I'll start working on the car. This, you know, I can tell, look, I, this thing doesn't have the right four link in it. The shock settings are right. And, you know, I go through and, and, and try to try to look at things a little bit different than just, again, going back to that. Some things just can't be fixed with that laptop and you got to get, you got to dive into the car and, and make the changes, you know? Well, I, you know, it's fair to say you tune on a lot of the more the higher end exotic kind of stuff. And with something like that, it has to be a holistic approach on how you make this thing go fast because it, it, it's a building block on everything. You just can't, you know, turn the boost up to 12 and let it eat. You got to make sure all that power is going to do what it's supposed to do at every increment of the track just for safety reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one thing that I, I definitely think I've benefited from, I work on a lot of different combinations too. You know, I have a, a lot, I have a pretty good customer base locally, like Cecil County and stuff like that. And, and I've worked on some nitrous cars and, you know, it's like one of those things, like you, you get, you, you work on all these different combinations and you find little things that work, let's say in nitrous car. And then you're like, Hey man, what if I tried this and in, in, in an X car or something like that, you know, or you find that, you know, you take this nitrous car that's running on a 275 tire and Hey, well, what if we could get this, you know, this pro 275 car to leave that hard or something like that? You know what I mean? So it just, it gives you other uh, ways of looking at it when you see something that happens on necessarily not, not necessarily the combination you were particularly working on this weekend, but you know what? I saw this last weekend working on this other car and I think I could apply some of that. And I think that that's a, that's a big thing too. I think once you, you, you make yourself a little more diversified on what you work on, you, you get all these experiences, you know what I mean? And try to, you know, implement them in everything you're working on do you think that's what's helped drive this ridiculous growth and performance we've seen at all radial tire and even pro mod classes just the the cross-pollination of tuners playing with all this different stuff and figuring things out i, I do um and and you know i also think and look I, i'm going to use proline as an example but it, you know for instance petty and i when we come back from a race we talk all through the week and, and we kind of go, we, we look at the data from, let's say we're both working on four or five cars and we look at all this data and we brainstorm on what things could help each combination. How do we make it faster? And I think that's what it comes down to. And, and you know, him and I will be racing in the same class. And I, and I don't know if you paid attention, but like Bradenton, I was tuning Manny Bajinga's Pro 275. He's tuning Scott Tidwell's car. I went a, a, a 372, I think with a six or a seven, he went 372 with an eight. We were one number off of each other having the record. And the, and the race before in Georgia, he had it. He had me on it by one number. You know, so it's like, you got guys that, you know, are, I look at him as my peer and I, and, you know, he's been a huge help and, and he's taught me so much on this deal, but we're, we drive each other. Cause you know, we're both trying to, you know, as much as uh, I appreciate everything he wants to beat me, I want to try to beat him, but that pushes us to do a better job. And I think that goes across the board with everybody, guys like Billy Stockland and, and things like that, that are just driving forces in this, that, you know, you, you see a guy capable of doing Stevie goes out and runs this fast. Well, you want to figure out how to do it. Right. Same thing with us in like, Pro 275. I feel like Proline and the Pro Charger combination right now is, and don't get me wrong, Mickey's doing a fantastic job with that, with that turbo deal and stuff like that. But, you know, these are the guys that you're just watching and you're saying, all right, well, if it can be done, we got, we got to figure out how to do it ourselves. You know what I mean? I think it's interesting too. This is, we're going off the, the question list here I've got, which is awesome because you're bringing up some great points that like tuners are like, they're a different kind of type A personality than drivers where they all, they still want to compete and they still want to do well, but instead of being the one in the car, you're the one that's getting the, the competitive edge from making it like 
you're imposing your will upon that wild beast to get it to do what you want to do. And that's a different kind of thrill. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I get as much out of it as a driver does. Like I, I, I love standing on the starting line. And, you know, if you make that call or you're racing somebody like I'm racing somebody like Petty and you're, you know, he's gunning for it. He's going to give that thing everything it's got. And you just to be able to make a run competitive with him is, is, is showing something, you know what I mean? And it's like, that is very rewarding to me just as much as, as, as it is to a driver. You know, I, I get, I, I can't help it. I, you know, I have all these stupid pictures of me jumping up and down on the starting line when we get a win or we set a record. I can't help it. It's just, if you have that competitiveness to you, I don't care what it is. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't hold it back. It's really cool from like my perspective too, to kind of like be able to have a certain level of step back and see all the tuners and all the combinations, because it's like you guys with the pro line camp and then Opalatsky and what he tunes with. And you got Barnhill and Jason Lee with what they do, you know, you get the sunny stuff, the Noonan stuff, yeah. you know, just all of these different combinations that are like, at the top tier level, they're all extremely close. And that's, to me, it's so interesting. You have so many different people and so many different combinations that are able to extract and get the same performance out of it. Yeah. And, and I mean, like you said, it, it's like all these guys going out there all do a great job. And it's like, you can have a, a Proline engine, a Hemi, uh, or a noon, excuse me, and and all these different combos, and you'll see these things run within one and a half, two numbers, and it's just crazy, you know. And it's it's it, it, it's it's different uh, approaches in it, you know, with different ECUs and you know setups and things like that. But ultimately, and I think that's what, like you were asking the question, what what why does things keep? Why do they keep you know increase like these ETs keep lowering and all that? And I think that's what it is. I think it's just. The, uh, the competitive the competitiveness between the tuners and drivers and all that and each person just pushing on the other to you know to try to try to you know do better I mean it's just it's awesome I, I really I enjoy it so you tune pretty much anything with wheels and an engine <laughs> which type of race car and combo makes you just like you just sitting there wringing your hands going oh man I can't wait to get my grubby little fingers on the keyboard for this one so look man I am a diehard turbo fan i really am um the more i get to work on these pro charger deals um they make a very good platform to run a race car with the zoomies the downforce that the zoomies create um the turbo though it is very difficult to tune it really is and i believe that if it if you have started out like which I, i i basically started out tuning on turbo cars that when you learn how to kind of handle and power manage a turbo car, I feel like when you go into some of these other combinations, it's a little easier because you're not dealing with a boost controller, a set of wastegates that you have to worry about, a set of blow off valves you have to worry about. Do you have compressor speed? You know, it's not necessarily RPM related like a blower is, you know, you got engine speed, you don't have a boost controller. It's just RPM related and you do it with a, a timing curve. Again, I'm not saying that it's easy by any means, but I feel like the turbo stuff brings in a whole different, um, outlook and how you have to approach it that uh, it's just to me it's very difficult it really is to take a turbo car especially in a in a pro mod situation yes they're extremely fast they make a lot of power but to actually get it to consistently go down the racetrack is it's a tough deal you know and i and i just enjoy it i really do it's funny you mentioned that was we had you're a tech inspection show alumni so is eric dillard and we had him on the show we were talking about different combinations And he said something interesting. I remember he talked about if he wanted to win a series championship, 
he would go with a centrifugal blown combination because of the consistency and how it worked. If he wanted to absolutely swing for the fences and do gangster stuff, the turbo combo is going in because it's got more power potential. But on the flip side of that coin is that that razor's edge because, you know, it's a different level when you're tuning a 5,000 horsepower turbo car because there's that little line of the on-off switch. And when it goes full on, you know, it's, you kind of, you know what it's going to kind of do and you hope it's going to do what you want it to do, right? Tell you the other thing that the turbo does is it finds the weak link in that drivetrain sooner than about, and, and it does. And I mean, that's what a lot of what we do, like Ken's RVW car. I mean, you know, we went uh 356 with that thing, but we broke a lot of parts, drivetrain parts, not engine stuff. It, you know, you, you break a transmission, you break a drive shaft, you know, you find the weakest link because of how you're locking up, you know, you're trying to lock these things up in first gear and shift it and all these things. And it's like, that thing is making 5,000, just like you said, 4,800 and something horsepower. And you're trying to shift it with a lockup on. And you, like you said, you find the weakest link, but coming down to it, it's the sickest thing when you get those things to make a pass and you know what I mean? And it all comes together. It's just wild. Oh, it's, if you're stand, if as a fan, if you hear a car, a, a turbo car, like a fast turbo car in a quarter mile run by itself, oh yeah, it's a different noise when everything, when the converters lock, the turbos are at full tilt. That car, it's like in Back to the Future when that thing hits 88 miles an hour, you're about to see some serious <laughs> shit, and that's exactly yeah. what happens. Yeah, that, that's that is my favorite combination. There's no question, you know. Uh, but I do, I really do enjoy working on the centrifugal supercharger stuff you know like i said it um with the zoomies and all the things it uh, it makes for a very good race car and it makes for a very consistent race car yeah that, that's the the interesting too and i think that's why you see a lot more of the centrifugal blowers in top sports and in top dragster because you get that power on a controllable and linear scale versus a nitrous which is trying to smash everything in in the first 10 feet versus yeah, right, right. a turbo car right. where it's down track. And then you got a screw blower car where it's like a hyper toddler. You're like, calm, calm down. You're trying to make it behave itself. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've had a couple of guys, well, Ken, for instance, when, when Ken uh, transitioned from his outlaw 632, which was nitrous car and he got the Corvette and, you know, he first started driving. I said, buddy, listen, this thing's going to pull high, harder in high gear than it does on the starting line, you know, getting him used to it. And he couldn't believe it, you know, and he's like, I just can't get over the power of this thing, you know. I, I talked with Ken when he was getting ready to go run at the World Cup with that car. Yeah. And, and he had his reservation. Like, you could tell he's like, I want to do this, but yeah. I know it's going to be kind of crazy. What was your, from the, the tuner crew chief point of view, what kind of talk do you got to give a driver when you got to tell him, listen, Crazy stuff's going to happen. Just stay calm. Yeah. And, you know, when we started doing that deal, if you watch, I'm sure you saw, like, I was I was basically stopping how far he went. Every time he'd make it run a little bit, you know, I'd start out with an eighth and then we ran it, you know, 800 feet. And then we went a thousand and then you go a little bit further. And now it's like, all right, let's make a full hit. But, you know, when we were making those hits, we were going back. We were going through the car every run checking tires, checking everything. You know what I mean? Because you're talking, this thing's going 250 miles an hour. It's no joke. And, it, and not only is it 250 miles an hour, but it's at 3000 pounds. You know what I mean? So it's like, you, just everything has to be right. And I'm just, you know, we're going over everything to make sure we're not having, at least trying to make sure that anything that could be potentially an issue, we've looked at to make sure, you know, we at least believe that it's good to let's go make this next run. 
quarter mile racing or radial tire car that's usually eighth mile like people I, I see it in the comments all the time oh it needs to go back to quarter mile racing it's too fast you talk to anybody that drives these cars that is i'm not saying the guys that want to do it are completely crazy but the guys there <laughs> i was but the, the guys that have been around the game for a while that used to race their gun eighth mile like no i, I kind of like racing eighth mile because i don't feel like i'm gonna die the back half the track yeah and especially with a turbo car you know you go you go anything that goes 205 to, to 210 in the eighth i mean you're going 250 260 at minimum out the back you know what i mean in a 3,000 pound car that's it's tough to get it stopped you know what i mean there's just a lot of things going on there and it's like you know we made a couple full runs with ken's but at the most part i was like all right listen we'll make a couple to, to i know what he wanted he wanted to say he got the record which was cool i wanted that too but after that it's like all right let's reel it back a little bit you know what i mean and just run it as far as we have to and, and you know the guys at mickey thompson are looking at it going they just did what yeah like th that, that tire's not yeah. meant that what why don't don't do that don't yeah just because well, I, it, it's funny that you bring that up because like I went over and talked to Buddy and and Tommy at Mickey Thompson. I'm like, look, what should I be looking at? Is there anything? You know, they're like, no, we're good. You know, we've we spun these tires and we'd had them up over, but you know, not knowing, knowing that we've only run, hey, I mean, realistically, the fastest we've been is like what 215, 216 on them. Now we're going 250. I, I just want to make sure everything's gonna be okay with these, right? Yeah, and, uh, there's so much that goes into it, and like I've, I've said in the past, I've looked at the G meter data for a car that I've worked on that's done eighth and a quarter mile racing. And that G meter gets weird at the top end. Oh yeah. Like it, that car is like, it, it's like in a movie when something starts shaking because it's going faster than what it normally goes. I couldn't imagine being inside the car and like that extra, that back half the track, you got to be like, is, is it going to live? What's it, what's happening? Right, right. That's what I asked Ken too. I was like, do you feel the speed? He's like, he's like, to be honest with you, it feels pretty smooth until I pull the chutes. He's like, then I realize how fast I'm going because when you, when those shoots tug on it, he's like, you realize you get a good feeling for how fast the car's going at that point. Standing at the top end, taking pictures when a pro mod bangs yeah. and shoots at 250 is a whole different level of noise. Yes. Like that to me is, the, it, I've heard so many guys say this. It's not the going fast that's hard to get used to it's the stopping at those speeds that like you're running out of real estate in a hurry. And that's guys that went from like that. I've talked to have gone from running door cars all the way up to nitro cars. They say that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, I'm saying to you, like, that was the biggest thing that he said, as soon as he pulled the shoot, he realized it. And, and like you brought up, you know, there's no room for error. Like when you're going that fast, like you have to be like, I was telling him like, look, get your hand on that shoot right after the eighth mile so that you're ready to go on that thing as soon as you're cross it. And honestly, I want it out. I'd rather have it out a little early. Right. You know, just to make sure that we get that thing stopped because 3000 pounds that, you know, cause you got to think it goes through the traps at 250. By the time it actually starts slowing down, it's probably going 260, 265. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and again, you know, going harkening back to my high school physics era, plugging all that data into the equation of physics that you could put out there. That that's a lot of meat to be moving <laughs> that fast. Yeah, yeah. So you know, what do you love most about your job? You know, you've got a dream job for what a lot of people would be. What do you love the most about it? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it is. Uh, look, I I really. I'm as competitive, like we talked about, I'm as competitive as anybody out there. I love getting wins. I love setting records, but I also really enjoy the relationships that you build with 
um, you know, guys that you work with um, as far as on the team and team owners, you know what I mean? I've got a lot of good friends that I consider very good friends that I've, that I've, you know, built these relationships on just racing, you know, Tim Davis is for one. He, he, he was a guy that I started working with, with Dwayne Mills and he's become one of my best friends. And I I've traveled all over the world with him working on all different combinations. We've won a ton of races together. So for me, that that's what a lot of it is, you know what I mean? And, and man, like you said, it is a dream job. I get to, I get to go and do what I love, you know, and, and I look forward to going every time I really do, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't love the fact that I have to travel and, and, and be away from my family, but at the same time, I really enjoy what I do. And I, it's not one of those, you know, Oh, I got to go to work today. I'm, I'm never like that. I, I'm always looking forward to go out there and do it. Yeah. It's, we're very fortunate to get to, to do what we do. And, you know, I, I tell people it, it's a dream job, but it's work. It There's going to be bad days and you got to hustle at it. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, it, you, you don't dread going to work. No, never, never. And, you know, I, I, I one of the things, and, and it's like, you have to keep this, you have to keep put this in the perspective. Like, you know, you, I, I look, I want to go out there and win every race I go to. It's hard because I'm so competitive. Like that's the one tough part is like, you know, you're on such a high trying to get there and you qualify well. And then let's just say something breaks on the car. That's very, you can go from this highest, a high to a low. And you're like, Oh, you're just disappointed. You know what I mean? Cause you had, you were having that, just that great weekend where everything was coming together. Car was running great. Driver's doing his job. Everybody's making the right calls. And then a, you have a stupid parts failure. It happened to on Manny's car. I mean, look, it's happened to everybody. You know, you can have a, a $20 relay, you know, mess up your whole weekend and stuff like that. It's just frustrating. But, but again, I still wouldn't change. I love what I do. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's what keeps, it's what makes, the best even better is having that desire that competitiveness to just go 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 and then when you get in the racers at this highest level they don't get there by accident it's the same personality types right you're getting to to work with people that will tell you do whatever it takes i don't care just make it happen that's right oh yeah that's right and, and you know you again if you look at the cars that you're able to go out and win with it's it's the it's the team owners that are willing to put the time and the money, but you know, as much as there is money, there's a lot of time in, in sacrifice and going testing because look, these cars, what you put into them is exactly what you get back from them, right? If you leave them in the trailer and they sit in the trailer and you don't work on them and go through that, well, then there's a good chance that when you get to the race day, you're going to have struggles and you're going to have parts breakage because you didn't do, you didn't put in the work that's necessary to be at that top level. Right. So that's what a lot of it comes down to is a lot is how much time you're willing to put into these things. You're putting a minimum 10 hours per week in a car. If you're racing back to back weekends. And that's just, if you're on a quick turnaround, that's right. 20 hours or more where you're just out in the shop going over these cars front to back. And I'm, I'll even go out and say that even as, you know, I'm a bracket street car racer, guess what? I'm still going to spend a lot of time out in the shop. If you, I want to be good at what I do going over the car front to back, just to check stuff, just to catch things. So you're not thrashing at the track. Is that something you think is what makes a good team? And, you know, part of being a crew chief, the tuners instilling that into people that they understand that they, you don't want to be fixing stuff at the track. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, look, you're going to always have things that you come up with at the track that have to be repaired or whatnot, but you want to at least say you gave it the best shot to have gone through that car and made sure that everything that you could put your hands on 
was in the right shape that it should be. Everything is in the right spot. Everything is tight. The engine's in good health, you know, the transmission, everything, your fluids are changed. Yeah. I mean, all that is super, uh, you know, crucial on what your weekend's going to end up like. And, and especially at a level, like you're talking pro mod and RVW, even XT 75, man, it's like, so much time. Like I look at it, like as much time as you spend racing, you end up working on these cars to get them ready. You know what I mean? And, and that's really the guys that put in that time and effort are usually the ones that are very, I mean, look, Stevie fast, for example, I mean, that guy is, he's got a group of guys that are on that car full time, you know, every week. And that's why they're successful. Same thing with like our guys, we've got, uh, we've got our, our NHRA guys and there's guys back at the shop that are working on those cars at ProLine every single day they're going through them they're they're making sure that the trailer is outfitted with all the parts and pieces that it needs to be that the car is you know got all the the right components in it that that rods are are, are fresh you know because the maintenance routine on these things at, when you get into the higher level and like with these hemis that run big rpm and things like that you know you've got to change parts more more often and all that stuff is super critical you can't and and that's the other thing is figuring out your strategy of when parts have to be um you know, changed over to when you're going to races back to back, because look, you only have so much time to get stuff fixed, right? You don't want to, you don't want to go into a race uh, with, with 18 runs on your rods, knowing, Hey, if I go through all these runs of qualifying, I, I'm going to have 30 runs on my rods. I can't do that. Cause I'm going to take, I could have a potential of, a, of parts failure. You know what I mean? So staying on top of that is really important as well. I think Dwayne Mills one time I saw when I was at the pit, at one of ducks events, they were under the car He's covered in assembly lube. They were swapping out bearings. I'm like, uh, is everything okay? Catastrophic failure. He goes, no, just routine maintenance. I'm like, yep. okay, yeah, I'm definitely glad that I have a certain budget that that's not routine maintenance for me. But it was one of those things where you, you know how many runs you got on it. You've done a lot of testing. You're caught out of rotation. And it's like, all right, well, let's just, you know, throw some bearings in it. Yep. Yeah, there's there's been plenty of times. I mean, look, rods aren't cheap. And, you know, you, if you if you come home from a race, let's just say you come home from a race and you've got 10 runs on the rods and you go to someplace like Sweet 16 where you're potentially going to have oh. nine or 10 qualifiers. What we then that's probably what you saw. Dwayne, I remember this. We went into it knowing that, look, it, we got to take one day and we're going to have to freshen the motor. And Dwayne and Tim sat there and went through the whole motor and put new rods in it and got it ready, you know, so that we could make it through the rest of qualifying and, and elimination rounds. I was like, bro, usually I'm seeing nitrous guys putting racks and stuff. You guys right. are doing it on a turbo car. Yep. Clearly you have been, you've been putting some miles on this beast. Yep. Yep. No, it's, and that's what happens with it. And you know, when you get, again, it's when you get to this level, you just have to have that mindset to go about it. And some people don't like, look, you know, there's some guys that you tell them that, and you know, they think they want to, they want to move up to the next class or something like that. Or I've got guys that, you know, maybe I want to do a pro 275 or the Hemi and I got to be upfront with them. I'm like, man, coming from an X car, let's say, and going to a Hemi pro charger deal, right. The maintenance that comes with that is, is it's a lot of time put into it. You know what I mean? So you have to be willing to, to put in that time and effort. And, and also it's finding the right people to help you do it. You know what I mean? Because that's the other side of it is it's, you're not, you can't do that with a one man show. You're not going to run that, that car and have the team that you need with a, you know, just a one guy or a weekend warrior. It's just, it's too much involvement. you got to have people that are dedicated to it. You can't have Bobby from AutoZone trying to be your crew no, chief because you're no, going to have a bad right. time. You're going to have a bad time. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it's funny you, the way you mentioned that too. The best way to put it into perspective for people is it's like, it's like owning a Ferrari. There's a lot of people that can buy it, 
but it's the maintenance side that you're like, wow, what have I got myself into? Right. That's right. You know, kind of going off of that, we got to thank one of our sponsors here real quick for this week's show, Airflow Research, the original CNC ported cylinder head. From street enthusiasts to the hardcore racer, AFR has designed a cylinder head for your application with one goal in mind, just to go fast. Got to throw those sponsors in there, right? That's an important yep. part of the race. Yes, it is. Very big part of it. And I, I can attest for AFR products. We recently did a, it was funny, you put the time in, we, we used to set their new, uh, the Enforced Series Cylinder Heads shop that does a lot of racing stuff, flopped them on this car and they worked perfectly and came down to testing because he done, the, the shop Big Three Racing has done a lot of tuning, a lot of stuff and they knew what to look for before they put their essential stamp of improvement on it. It came down to the testing and knowing what they were looking at. Very cool. Now, this is something I wanted to ask what's typical weekend like for you? Like, I want to know because I see you guys literally like running around on scooters <laughs> with laptops, laptops on cars, car makes run. And then it's like, poof, you're gone. Right. You know, what's, what's a race weekend like for you? I mean, uh, I, so if you look at a race weekend, like uh brain did, I mean, that is a race weekend. That's just mayhem is the best way to describe it. I mean, you know, like I told you, you get guys that are just anxious to get out there. It's the first race of the year. Um, I typically try to do three to four cars at a max, you know, and I can, I can handle those cars where I feel like we can do a good job on all those. When you get start getting more cars than that, it gets tough. Right. And, and usually when I do three or four cars, that's spread within three classes, let's say. Right. So you just have to strategically set it up that, you know, okay, this is going to be my routine. These guys run first. Right. So you've got to get these cars ready and then you just work your way down. And, um, you know, I'm lucky. I have my son that works with me quite a bit. Um, I have Tim Davis that works with me quite a bit. So I have people in place that help me along with this as far as getting data out. Um, you know, when I'm working on a bunch of cars, I usually have guys that are either with the team or like I said, my son or Tim, they go through and will look at data for me. So let's say I'm making my rounds to everybody and I'm looking at, you know, when you walk up to a computer, this is something that I had to, to drill into my head when I started doing this. You're so anxious to either figure out why the car didn't go down or make it faster, right? That you have to keep in mind engine vitals. Right. Because that's something that's it, man, it's it's very easily overlooked, especially when you're going into this and you're you just OK, let's get this done. Let's go to the next one. So I have these guys put in place where, look, they've already gone through or I have guys on the team that say I tell them, look, I need you to look at the plugs. I need you to, to lay out anything that you think that is an issue. Let's make sure uh, our EGTs are good. Let's make sure we got oil pressure and fuel pressure, engine vitals, right? Got to know that because that's the first thing. That's the most important thing, but it's very easily overlooked, right? And especially when you're in a hurry to do this stuff. So that's one thing I had to drill into my head. You know what I mean? It's like I had to build my little cheat sheet. So I had something to pop up, engine vitals, say, okay, all right, now I know I got to get through. I got to get through engine vitals before we worry about anything else, you know? So just doing those little things and having people to help you do those things you can, you can be efficient in going and doing three and four cars. You know what I mean? And obviously I'm looking at plugs and all those things, but it's, it's like Tim, for example, will, when we used to race with Dwayne or any of the cars that he's on, he'll grab a plug and be like, Hey bud, make sure you look at this because this looks a little hot or, Hey, this one looks like it's real fast. So just look at that stuff, you know, and then, that, okay, that's what I needed. I needed somebody to point that out because you know what I mean? I could potentially overlook that or, or, or realize it later on when I should have been paying attention to that right up front. 
You know what I mean? So it, it is, it is very fast paced. Um, I've found a, what I think is a decent way to handle the different combinations. I've had guys ask me that man, you'll, he's like, I seen you work on a pro charger, a turbo, a nitrous car. And, you know, you go back through and I just, I've, I've figured out a decent way to, to do that. And I try to use, I try not to use one laptop in every car. That's something for me that makes it easier. Cause that way, when you go in, you can't get, you can't get data overlaid or, 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 uh, have it in the wrong areas or be looking at the wrong thing. You know what I mean? So I've got specific laptops for every car that I do. And those are just little things that I've found that make my job easier for me. You know what I mean? But it is, it is definitely fast paced and it can be hectic at times, but again, I, I'll tell you, I love it. You know what I mean? So. I figured the vitals would be, you know, something you got to figure out right away because I had an NA racer tell me the first thing I look at is pan vac. That tells me how yeah. the rest of everything else is going right. to happen. That's and, right there's so many things that with these cars you have to like like I said it's a layered approach are my vitals okay you can't tune on something that there's an oil pressure issue well, that's right like like okay why is it doing this before i do anything we gotta fix this mechanical issue and you talk to any dyno operator that's tuning your you know a car they'll flat tell you don't put junk on my dyno bring right. something here that I don't have to troubleshoot that we can tune. And it's the same thing. I'm sure, like I said, with what you got to do is you got to make sure the thing is in good working order before you try to do anything with it. Well, and the last thing that you want to do, right. When you're trying to make a car faster or, or, or let's say, like we talked about it, anything can happen. But the last thing that you want to do is, is, is go back through some data and realize that there was an oil pressure issue that could have been possibly handled, you know, three runs earlier had you paid closer attention to it. Right. So those are the kind of things that I'm like, I don't ever want to come back and be like, Oh man, I didn't see that. You know what I mean? And, 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 and just miss out on something like that. So I've, I've really, and it, it, it look, when I first started, that wasn't something you're so for me, I was just anxious. I want to make this car faster. Right. I want to make it faster. I want to make it better. And you oh, well, I really got to pay attention to some, some other stuff here first before we worry about that. Right. Well, I'm sure too, from a tuner standpoint, is you want to make sure that you're keeping an eye on everything because the last thing you want to be known as is, is the angel of death that's blowing <laughs> stuff up. Yeah, yeah. You don't everybody. You don't ever want to hear anybody. They all. They all. I got some guys that'll bust on me. You know, you drag the pinky across that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, you do, you definitely don't want to miss that stuff. You know, and and look. Like we said before, anything with these things, when you're dealing with something that makes, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 horsepower, parts break. They do, unfortunately. And we're running these at a level, like if you want to be competitive, you're not just running these at a level that they last forever and you're not pushing, you know, if you want to get every bit out of these cars, you're running them at the absolute peak that they can run. And, you know, there's not a lot of room for error there. All right, so I've seen my fair share of gnarly carnage. I've had to work on gnarly carnage. What's something that's happened afterwards where you just went, ooh, that's that's ugly? I have a story about, it was funny, you were talking about Dwayne Mills, and, and we had an issue one time where we broke, we actually broke the skirt off of the piston, Okay. And we were at Ducks race. I don't remember which race it was. Um, and I, I want to think it's a lights out. And, and we decided that we would, we would just take the injector off of it. And then somebody came around and said, oh, we got this idea talking with somebody that we would take and put a compression gauge and run it into the framer like the pan vac, right? 
And so this is in the midst of like, you know, 20 minutes of turning this car around that we had to pull the header off because we thought we had a broke turbo because it was smoking so bad. Well, we take the header off and then you realize, well, it's the engine, right? We've, we've hurt the piston and they don't have time. We don't have time to change the piston. So we end up putting this, this tube basically going from the, from the plug, from the plug into the frame rail so that it'll just blow all the compression in, which sounds like a great idea when you're just trying to get to the lanes. Well, then in the midst of all this and the mayhem of getting the car up in the lanes to try to, you know, see if maybe the guy, I don't remember who we were racing, but they red lit. If any, you know how drag racing is, the craziest things can happen. Just get it up in the beam. Well, he starts the car and I get over the radio. I'm like, Dwayne, you can't do a burnout with this thing. I just realized it's going to have frigging all the, all the cylinder pressure from boost going through this pumping oil out the back of the car. <laughs> You know, so it's like these things that you don't think about when you're when you're going through. Right. Because it's just you're you're in such a hurry to just what's the ultimate goal? Get the car back up in the lane so we could try to get the time to fix it, because I think it was like going to be the last run of the night. Right. So we would have had if we if we could have gotten through this round, we would have had all night to fix it. It didn't happen. Uh, obviously, when we realized this, you know what I mean? But it's like those things in a hurry. And then it's like, wow, that might work on a nitrous car where there's no cylinder pressure as far as boost being pumped into it. But this thing was going to be like a geyser of oil coming out the back so yeah we uh we learned a lot of stuff on Dwayne's car I will say me myself Tim uh you know um Dwayne I mean we just did some we ran that car 2016 2017 that car was pretty dominant in in RVW and we did a lot of crazy stuff with that you know we we ran it all the time we would try crazy stuff we had massive turbos making 80 pounds of boost on it and we just pushed everything to the limit you know, so we, we, we had a lot of carnage, but we learned an awful lot of stuff too. There was a local shop that used to campaign a car and they had the boxo carnage from stuff that they had blown up, torn oh, yeah. up, just tr like when, when you're trying to innovate, bad stuff is going to happen. When you're doing something nobody else has done, it's going to be cool eventually, but you just need to accept the fact that it's going to be probably expensive at some point and there's just going to be stuff you're going to tear up that people are just going to be like oh that sucks and there's nothing to be done about it no and, and it also takes you have to be with the right type of team that is willing to try that stuff because there's not a lot of guys out there that are that are willing to go through that effort and like you said but that that right there is the reason why classes keep progressing because you got you have guys like that that are willing to do that you know what i mean and Dwayne was one of those guys for years i mean we would go down to Bradenton and spend two weeks down there and just test i mean i remember making runs with that car with no nose on it we're just messing with limiters and trying to figure out how to get it to 60 foot because the nose that we weren't running, we'd run it to the 60 foot and back it up. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out how to go faster than 60 foot, trying all these things, but you need somebody with the, with the right mindset. Manny, for example, Bajinga with, uh, with his X car. I mean, we've been very successful with that, but he lets us do some crazy testing with it. He lets me try a bunch of different stuff. He's, he's got that attitude. Like let's do whatever it takes. Let's try stuff. You know what I mean? And we've gone through a bunch of parts and we broke a bunch of stuff, but we've, you know, come out of it and have a pretty fast hot rod out of it. What's something about your job that would surprise people? Surprise people. Or they just go, oh, I didn't expect that. You know, whether it's on the tuning side, just, just in general, you know, even maybe a hardcore racer. I don't know. I think that, I think that people outside looking in, I think people don't, 
think about all the time that's spent traveling and how long you're away to get, you know, when, when you say you're going out, uh, let's say to work for the weekend, you know, cause a typical work week for me, let's say is typical. It would be Thursday and you're back home Monday. Right. But a lot of times these guys want to go testing. And so I would say for me, the time away from home is what, I, when you start talking to people and, and, you know, they realize you're like, yeah, I, I don't have any weekends. You know, there is no weekend that I have off. There really isn't. And, and look, I'm fortunate for that. I have a lot of work. I'm not complaining about it. Right. But I'm just saying when, when you talk to people and they're like, oh, you know, you've got that dream job, like we've talked about, it's a great job. It is, it is awesome. But there is a lot of sacrifice that comes when you have a family and stuff like that, that I think that when people, you start talking and, and, and they realize, wow, you, you missed out on a lot of stuff. That's the, that's the crap end of it. You know what I mean? I hate to bring it up like that, but that's really what it is. That's the, that's the bad part of it. You know, when we would go out and race, raise car, like what we had, we would only go like, we had a rule three weekends a month. Fourth weekend was to keep the wife happy. Yeah. That was just, yeah. We would like, even if there was a race we wanted to go, like we would schedule stuff based on that rule. And that's how we got to go out and race so much is because we would be able to like do that stuff. And for me personally, it makes the time you spend with your significant other and your family that much better because you really enjoy it. You know, you do not take it for granted. Right. That's right. And, And I've been lucky. My wife has been super supportive and my kids and everybody and, and, you know, of doing this craziness, because like I said, I've unfortunately had to be away You know, I don't get those weekends. So we just, we've tried to work it out so that our weekends are Monday through Wednesday. You know what I mean? That's our weekends and, and, and we do what we can there. But, you know, like I said, that's, that's the biggest thing I have to say when I talk to people about my job and we start talking about traveling and I guess people that travel for work, realize it you know what i mean it's the same thing you know i I know i had friends that would travel and stuff and and my dad traveled and it's like you don't really think about the sacrifice okay yeah they travel which is kind of cool you're in a different place all the time but there's a lot to that that really like getting on an airplane and sitting in airports that part of it really sucks (laughs) i I don't mind flying i hate airports yeah airports are horrible i i do not there i have not been to an airport that i enjoy yeah, like, <laughs> like the fly, like some people are, they're, they're literally, they're scared to fly, which I understand. I just, the, the whole dance of like, especially on a race weekend, going to an airport because you are focused on what you have to do. Oh yeah. You do not have time to worry about the other BS, right. which sucks. Yeah, it does. Now, you know, what kind of, what we, I wanted to expand on this a little bit more when it comes to like, combination development what's your role in that process when you know let's say pro lines coming up with something new what what you know what what step in the process are you and you know what's that like for you to be a part of that I mean, look, I'm very proud to say that I'm, I'm in with the ProLine guys. It's been, you know, I can remember back in the day just, you know, with racing my buddy Ray Johnson and watching Petty and those guys. And now that I get to work with him and, and I talk to Steve Petty almost every single day, we're on the phone. And that's really what I guess this is going to is like, um, you know, really the, the, the start of all that happens between Eric, Doug and Petty is where that starts, you know, as far as the development on new packages that they are the ones that come up with that stuff. Usually I come into where Petty's already started doing, or they've started developing something and Petty will start brainstorming with me on, on things and like, okay, look, we're thinking about trying this. What do you think about this? How do you think this would work? You know, and it's, it's, it's funny with Steve, because I still, I still, to this day, I've worked with him for so many years and it's crazy when he'll ask me questions on what I think, because this guy is like, you know, he's like, 
the top guy out there, you know what I mean? At least one of them, you know what I mean? It's like, why is he asking me this? But it's, it's more along the lines of just, we just brainstorm and bounce ideas off of each other. And that's really what's very cool about it. And, and that happens with a lot of the guys in the shop, you know, as far as like Brandon and, and, and Josh and all that, you know, and then once, once the pieces, because basically, like I said, Eric, Doug and Petty will kind of come up with these, with these, okay, these are things that we're thinking about trying. Once that is actually in a car ready to be tested, that's when we all kind of group together and say, all right, how do we take full advantage of the absolute best way to handle this combination? And, and, and what is the right way to go about it? You know, so um, that's kind of where my role and like, you know, again, like I brought up, um, Steve will go out with, uh, for example, like when we, when we did the, the revised raise cam, uh, uh, Hemi stuff, you know, Steve would have one out and he'd be running one and then I'd have one out and we would see, okay, how did this all work? You know what I mean? Uh, for example, the new FT injectors that are, that are coming out. Um, we had those on, on cars at Bradenton, right? We had them on five different cars. So Petty and I are back and forth saying, what did you see with them? How is, how is, you know, what's the air fuels look like? Are you doing a lot of individual cylinder trims, things like that? So the development side there is really, it's once the product's out there, all right, how do we handle it? And going back and forth and, and, and sharing the data in different experiences and on different cars and could be different days, different tracks and, and kind of bringing all that together. So common ground of how to make this better or what are we finding for results? What do we need to work on? Things like that. So it's a whole collaborative effort. Oh, there's just, no question. You're, you're just part of, you know, I, I was only interested in that because I know that you said the pro line will come out with different stuff. Nelson might come out with something different yeah. and then what it's like to be a part of like, that process as far as, you know, you're, you're pouring over the data, like an engine dyno can only tell you so much when you put it into a car and it starts doing weird race car stuff. That's where you got to probably really start figuring out the development side. Well, and, and that's it. Like, look, we've talked about this. Penny and I have both at different times um, have been on the chassis dyno where you try something and you, you pick up these big power gains. Then you go to the racetrack and you don't really see anything on the racetrack. And then it's been, just the opposite. You'll make these small little changes that you're like, well, it showed me a little bit on the dyno, but I, I, I really want to go and, and run it at the racetrack because I feel like there might be something there. And all of a sudden, you've got these massive gains, right, that you didn't you didn't see, you didn't think were going to be much. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, really, the, the hub dyno stuff has been instrumental in, in a lot of the new development stuff because what you're able to learn, like the, the, the engine is in, is in, in its environment that it's going down the racetrack. Yeah, there's obviously some things that you can't do as far as like airflow through a blower or through a turbo when it's moving down the racetrack, but it's as close as you can simulate to on track that it, it, that has been, it has been huge in the, in the, in the development of, of componentry tuning wise, you know, and I'm lucky I've got a, a local guy to me that has a, a hub dyno and we do a bunch of nitrous cars and stuff around here. So we're, we're constantly trying stuff. And again, that's even one of those cases where I'll call up Petty and be like, Hey man, I just tried this on one of these nitrous cars. We should try that. And he'll do something with it after we've talked about it. And he tries it in one of the pro charger cars. And it's just the way the strategy on the injector He's like, man, that really worked out badass. You know what I mean? And we got to keep moving forward with this and trying stuff. So it's, it's really cool when you have those people that you can bounce ideas off. And that's what I think it makes, you know, any, any group of guys, like, like I've said, pro line, and you brought up uh, Barnhill and PTP and all them, those guys, when you have multiple guys out there working on combinations, it just helps all around because you can accumulate all this data and, 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 and make huge strides, you know what I mean? In a little bit of time. Yeah. I was going to hit you with the hub dyno question. You just 
he slid right into that base because that's <laughs> that again i think is people don't realize how big of a game changer that really was to have these dinos that you could do crazy stuff on you could never do on other kinds of chassis dinos to that level yeah i mean you know one of the thing is like the the, the actual drag race simulation so we do they do this at fuel tech a lot, a lot of the guys with the mainline stuff do this um a local guy uh, bootleg tuning owns the dyno that I go to here in Connecticut. And we run it off the, we, we leave off the trans brake. We let the car shift on there. We lock it up. So one of the things about it is not only are you tuning the car and, and, you know, for, a, for, let's say just a dyno number, but you can actually take a brand new car and you can go through all of, you know, everything systems checked front to back that you can let go of the button on, at the racetrack. And you know, this thing is going to shift everything is going to work. The boost controller works, all the progressive nitrous works, whatever the combination you've already gone through and made sure that all these systems work out that you're not spending time at the racetrack. So, you know, I've, I've had guys been like, Oh, well, it seems like it's a little expensive. And then when they leave the dyno, they're like, man, this is the best money I ever spent because you, you know, you're not waiting in line to make a run. You don't have one of those days where unfortunately something happens at the track. You only get two runs. I mean, we've, we're on the dyno, usually a dyno session for me lasts 10 to 12 hours when we're doing some of these cars. But at the end of it, you know, you've got you've got 10 runs on the dyno to show not only horsepower, but that everything worked. We tried different shift points. We tried all these different things and they worked. Some did, some didn't. You know, we've also been working with the guys from Hearts Turbo and and trying to, uh, you know, work on new development on turbo stuff. So those guys have come down to the chassis dyno. We've had a bunch of different turbos on. I mean, it, just the stuff that you can learn with this is really cool. I'm just winding down here and I have one other question I want to ask you. Do you have any desire to get behind the wheel at all? And if so, what would you want to drive? I really don't. I had, uh, it's funny that you brought this up. So I, I used to have a, a Camaro that I used to basically do some street racing. And then I kind of pulled myself back on that and wanted to just do like a little bit of tuning on the car. This is before I ever had any real ambition to be a tuner or anything, but I just enjoyed that aspect of it. But I don't, I really don't. Um, my son has shown a little bit of interest in maybe doing some driving. So I don't know if it's something that maybe at one point we'll, we'll put something together to, for him to mess with, but I really don't. I have his, I, I feel like for me, I would, I would miss out on some of the stuff that I really enjoy. Like I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy jumping around like an idiot on the racetrack when we make this great run. And for a driver, I I'm actually disappointed for a driver because they don't get to take you know, they, they don't get to see that, you know, they're at the end by themselves waiting for somebody to, to come pick them up when we've all been jumping around and, you know, excited about this record run or a win or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know if I would, uh, if I would give that up for driving. So you're not like Dillard who, you know, just brings his fire suit in his <laughs> yeah. travel bag. Like yeah. anybody need a driver? Anybody, yeah, anybody, that, anybody? That, that dude's a machine, man. I've been with him at the racetrack and watched him drive like four or five different cars, different combinations. And he gets in these things and drives them and it never misses a beat on any one of them. He's a, he's a machine. It's pretty wild. Yeah. That's the, it, it's always interesting to hear people's answer to questions like that. And you ask drivers, what else would you want to drive? Why would you want to drive it? And it, it, to me, it's a very interesting personality trait. And the one thing that's always constant is I have yet to have someone say, I want to ride a nitro Harley. Yeah. No. I'm Everybody, out. Everybody's I'm out. like, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm out on that. Even nitro funny car and top fuel guys are like, those guys are crazy. So I, I really want to get 
a Nitro Harley guy on the show, and I want to ask them, what would you not drive? I want to hear. There's nothing. I can't imagine anything. Like, at that point, is it, you know, is your only fear being strapped to the front of a spaceship? I don't think you have any fear at that point. There is no fear. When you jump on that bike, there is nothing. I've watched those guys. We've sat in the lanes watching those guys get ready to make runs, and I'm like, these guys are just a whole different breed. <laughs> They're nuts. They are nuts. They're a different breed. And then the guys that race the turbo leader bikes with Jason Miller's X. Oh yeah. Yeah. At the eighth mile, the things on the, like no bar it's rising up. They're grabbing gears. Yeah. I'm watching the smoke by going 200 mile an hour. I'm like, y'all, yeah. y'all have fun. Yeah, that's right. On that note, Jamie, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests the floor and allow them to channel their inner John Force and thank whoever they need to thank and plug themselves in any way they can. So I will turn it over to you. You can thank who you need to thank, plug where you need to plug, and tell people to learn more about you wherever you need to. So the floor is yours, my friend. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I'd like to thank Steve Petty, Proline. Obviously I wouldn't be in this opportunity to talk to you without those guys, you know, bringing me on board and teaching me this stuff. Um, anybody that's interested, I go by uh, hashtag Miller race cars on Instagram and I'm on Facebook, Jamie Miller. And, you know, I, I kind of, I do some updates of where my racing is. I do some builds that here and there of fabrication stuff that I do. So, you know, just trying to, show some people what uh, my interests are and where I'm doing and what's going on and what we're working on. Great to have you on the show, Jamie. I look forward to seeing you at the, uh, at the track some point this year and it'll be, it'll be, I'm sure I will sit back and observe and have more questions <laughs> for you. Awesome. Thanks again.